Welcome to Malden Reads One City One Book, the companion podcast to the community reading program in Malden, Massachusetts. This year's book is Born a Crime by the famous comedian Trevor Noah. I'm your host, Annie Bennett. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Malden Reads One City One Book. I'm your host, Annie Bennett, and today for our guest, we have Mayor of Malden, Gary Christensen. How are you doing today, Mr. Christensen? Very good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. How has the reopening been going with Malden and COVID? It's been going well, thanks to everybody coming together to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I can't say enough about the resiliency that I've seen over the past year. I wasn't sure how this was going to go, to be honest with you, because... We've never experienced anything like it, but yeah. uh, I've just been so impressed with everyone involved, especially our students who have lost so much over the past year, but you'd never know it by their attitude. Yeah, I know that uh, youth rights are a very important issue to you. Yes. Um, you are also have recently called on residents to join the Human Rights Committee. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is, again, something thanks to our residents have wanted to make it more than it was in the past, which was a standing committee that uh, met more on an obligatory basis rather than, um, you know, wanting to go above and beyond the meaning behind the commission. And so to show you how important they've been for us, we had an issue come in recently that we normally would have addressed it ourselves but we thought we should probably, you know, notify the Human Rights Commission to see what they think about what the problem is and how we can work together to solve it. Tell me a little bit about your background. You used to work at the Suffolk County Sheriff's Department? Middlesex. Middlesex County Sheriff's yep. Department, sorry. Um, and then you got into politics and, uh, you know, the rest is history. But tell me tell me what you can't find on paper. I a lot earlier than that. It right. was in uh, Malden High School that I knew I wanted to be mayor of my hometown one day. And 30, 32 years later, here I am. And so what I tell all of our students every chance that I get is that the one thing that an, an app will never replace is hard work and dedication. Mm-hmm. And so if you work hard and you dedicate yourself, I tell our students, chances are you're going to be successful and you're going to realize your life's dream, which from my vantage point, there's nothing more important in this topsy-turvy world that we live in than realizing one's dream. Absolutely. So it's been an honor. Uh, I wake up every day wanting to do as much as I humanly can to, to help our city succeed. Let's talk about what that entails. Uh, this year especially has been a, a unprecedented year, not only in the pandemic, but also in terms of racial justice. We've talked a little bit before about your personal efforts with um, racial justice, but what issues specifically are you seeing within Malden and how are you working to change them? I guess what isn't the issue? I mean, we just have got to continue to work together Mm -hmm. and we do that through communication. And so we try as much as we can to meet with everyone at any time on any issue to come together in an effort to help us move forward. So in particular, we announced a Unite Malden initiative last summer to help with that goal. And I'm happy to say several months later, I I think we're making progress on it. 
Um, as you probably know, we first declared racism a public health emergency. We then declared that Juneteenth would be an official holiday in our city, which I'm pleased to say that the state later followed suit. And just this uh, month, we hired our first ever diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, Vibios Larachelle, mm -hmm. who um, has really hit the ground running. To give you an example, just this morning on my way in, I ran into a resident who was having trouble with her driver's license. Mm -hmm. And so I said, why don't you come with me? And um, she spoke French and Haitian Creole. And Bibios came right downstairs and immediately assisted this resident and helped her get what she needed in order to uh, move forward with her day. That's wonderful. And, you know, speaking of language, we have talked about uh, the we're going to talk about the book, obviously, and language plays a huge role in the book. Yep. Now, according to recent census data, less than half of Malden's residents uh, only speak English as their language into yep. the household. Um, so as mayor, how do you work to ease these language barriers? And how do you think that the situation of immigrants and multicultural households in America is echoed in South Africa during uh, Born a Crime? Yesterday, I finished my 10-week course in how to speak Mandarin. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what I was saying, <laughs> but I was making the attempt. And I think that's what we have to do each and every day are those little things uh, to, again, help us continue to move forward. So I could tell you in a lot of our recent meetings, we've had language translation, uh, whether it's the superintendent search or just on Thursday night when we did our page of throw webinar, we had, uh, I think it was six or seven languages being offered to help with that community meeting. That's great. And uh, we just need to keep reflecting our organization to what Malden is, which is one of the most diverse cities in, in the state. So I think we can no longer just say it. We now have to start acting upon it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, some of the things that we're doing um, right now to help with that. How do you balance your background in police with such an anti-police movement that's going on? Through communication. So I meet with our police chief every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., year-round. Right. And we just try to make sure that we're staying in touch and understanding each other's expectations, which is, you know, for me, it's the people outside this podcast today, they're our, they're our customers, you know, they're our friends, they're our neighbors, you know, and so we try to uh, work together to make sure everyone knows that we're, you know, we're traveling through this unified and together. That's how. And in the Unite Malden Initiative, it does call for a, um, a community review board, Great. which now that we have our diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, we're now going to start turning our focus on establishing that board. That's wonderful. Turning it over to the book more specifically, mm -hmm. uh, has Noah's book affected your political approach at all? What did you learn from reading it that you didn't know before? Back to what I said earlier, never give up. I mean, there were plenty of times within that book that, you know, Trevor could have called it quits, but he never did. And um, that was one lesson I took from it. And another one is that it opened my eyes when he talked about why people sometimes commit crime. It's because 
he said crime cares. And I never looked at it that way. You know, we were always brought up thinking if someone commits a crime, they're just a straight-up bad person. But I think the book showed me that when you have people coalescing, coalescing around crime and that's all you know and that's all they know, then that's what happens. And so, you know, I took from that that, you know, we all have to do a better job of propping people up and encouraging them to, you know, to be successful. And I took that from it. And then the other thing I took is, uh, I forget the exact quote, but language is the one universal aspect that can really unify us all. I mean, anytime he was speaking a different language, you could see that the person he was speaking with, it resonated. Kind of had me thinking about doing the same. You know, as I told you, I just finished a 10-week lesson on how to speak Mandarin. It's great to see how um, these different pieces of literature and media are able to create real tangible change within communities and individuals. And I did want to dive in a little bit to that passage that you talked about with Crime Cares. So for our listeners, um, the quote is on page 209. It says, The hood made me realize that crime succeeds because crime does the one thing the government doesn't do. Crime cares. Crime is grassroots. Crime looks for the young kids who need support and a lifting hand. Crime offers internship programs and summer jobs and opportunities for advancement. Crime gets involved in the community. Crime doesn't discriminate. Right. Yeah. So Malden's you know, far from the hood, but how can governments provide alternatives to crime? I guess how can't we do it? I mean, we have to do everything we humanly can. I mean, from our end, uh, we just notified before I came over here today that we're receiving a large grant to help with our uh, summer jobs program, which I'm happy to say employs hundreds and hundreds of kids each summer. Uh, internships, you know, which we, I think, are now the biggest uh, organization that does internships for our kids at the schools. Um, which uh, which organization? Like the Maldon government? The government, yeah. You so, don't pay the interns, do you, though? No. It's okay. part of their uh, requirement for, I think, graduation or for oh, whatever, okay. uh, for being a senior. And we have more kids now in that program than, than ever before. And I think it's just being a continual presence in the schools. So as I told you this morning, we welcome back to our high schools, uh, grade 9 and grade 12. I was on hand to make sure that, you know, they have an opportunity to say hello to me and vice versa, and you start to to build up that relationship. Mm -hmm. Why is such a hands-on approach to government uh, so important to you as mayor? I think it's the best way to make the connection. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing I've learned about Zoom over the past year. <laughs> it, 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 it's spontaneous, it's helpful, it's cool, but there's nothing like being together. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've met by being outside, you hear things that you wouldn't normally hear on the telephone or through a computer. And so I'm looking forward to getting back to that. That's wonderful. Yeah, here's uh, the list to prove it. So by being out in the city, these are some of the things you jot down. Yeah, so you try to make an issue and follow up and so that's a benefit of being out there talking to the people. Um, another quote from the same page is, one of the first things I learned in the hood is there's a very fine line between civilian and criminal. We like to believe we live in a world of good guys and bad guys, and in the suburbs, it's easy to believe that, because getting to know a career criminal in the suburbs is a difficult thing. But then you go to the hood, and you see there are so many shades in between. And so you talked a little bit about how 
this book change your perspective? Because we do. We grow up and we think criminals are bad people. You know, there's good and bad. But in reality, most people are very gray. Right. Crime is such a complex thing. I mean, does shoplifting from CVS to pay for your, like, lunch, is that the same as, you know, going out and committing a violent crime? Should we be treating these people the same? And, of course, if you're black, then it's even more likely to be prosecuted and put in jail for much longer periods of time than justified, especially for drug crimes. Um, So I guess my question would be, how should justice systems account for the people behind the crime? How can we start personifying our prison industrial system and deconstructing that hierarchy and the system systemic racism and classism that goes into it. We all must keep an open mind. Like, like you were just saying, I thought you said it perfectly. There is no black and white anymore. It's not good and bad. Mm -hmm. It's not strong and weak. There's, there's a story to everyone. And we have to start hearing about that story in order to, I think, get to where we want to go. So, that's what has been very helpful to me. Right. In terms of specific policies, is there anything that you are really passionate about implementing in our uh, justice system that you think would have a good impact? I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I've always felt the justice system is separate and apart from what we do on a daily basis. I mean, we're just trying to help people navigate their way through life here in Malden. So the one thing we have done though is uh again back to communication keep the lines open with the courts uh in case you know they ever need us and vice versa to give you an example where that's helping is we have an addiction recovery resource specialist here uh-huh. his name is paul hammersley he has forged a relationship with the courts now and by us doing that the courts instead of sent one right away for uh, substance use, they will refer them to Paul and his team to see if there's a way we can help that individual rather than going straight to jail. Do you support the legalization of marijuana? Yes. Um, Have you seen any progress in that initiative over the last few years? Well, it's legal now in Massachusetts, right? Right. Are you talking... More nationwide. Oh, nationwide. Yeah, Yeah, I don't really get to go beyond the five square miles of Malden, you know, so, um, but let's face it. I mean, it was illegal not too many years ago. Now it's legal. And, uh, we just signed two agreements last week or the week before with businesses that will soon be opening here in our city. How have you seen that Massachusetts is legalizing of marijuana have an impact on the country nationwide and, you know, like what, how has the conversation within government changed the way we talk about pot? Oh, it's night and day right? from once. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, I remember, you know, many years ago that, you know, that was taboo, you know, mm-hmm. marijuana, that person was a bad person or that issue had to be dealt with severely. Two weeks ago, we're meeting with providers who are ready to open up shop here in our city. So, yeah, it's been big strides from where we once were. So we talked a little bit about uh, Malden's youth, and you know, I know that's an issue that you're very passionate about. And do you think that Malden Reads has had a substantial impact on this community? Without a doubt. I mean, looking back, I don't know where we'd be without them, because it's one thing to know 
about the issues that confront us, but it's another thing to have an organization come together to truly help our city appreciate them, analyze them, and come up with ways to support them. Let's talk a little bit more about Crime Cares and that idea. And you said that was a very enlightening idea, way to think about things differently. What exactly does that mean to you? When you hear Crime Cares, Crimes is Grassroots, how do you interpret that? And how does that change your approach as a politician? It means that we have to do more. Mm -hmm. We have to, we cannot just look at an issue and say, that's it. That person did something that society believes is wrong, and therefore they must pay the ultimate penalty. We cannot look at that that way anymore. And I think, you know, again, we're, the justice system is a little bit separate and apart from, from what we do on a daily basis, but there are things happening in our city that, you know, reflect that notion. For instance, uh, we just opened our first ever shelter on Broadway. We have a warming center now that's in its third year. You know, those are things 10, 15, 20 years ago wouldn't have even been conversation starters. Right. The empathy. is Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Perfect word. Yep. I think society, I think the community has come around to realizing that, you know, when you peel it back, we're all in this thing together. Exactly. And so I think COVID, with all of its horrific side effects, one of the positive things I think it is, it does have a uniting front with people because, you know, Republican, Democrat, no one's pro-COVID. No one's yeah. on the side of the pandemic. Right. So it gives us a common enemy, which yeah. I think is interesting to see how it plays out with all the other weird shit excuse right. me, that's happened over 2020 and now 2021 we've had a, a coup we've had um like mass protests we've had an election we've had other elections you right. know in this pandemic and i think having something that everyone is on the same side as in different ways you know you have right. people who are like i don't want to wear masks but i think it is interesting to you don't you don't often get that in yeah, modern good politics point. i can't think of a time you're right yeah yeah um and so bringing it back to you know the police, something that is very, very partisan and hot and heavy right now. Sure. Um, I wanted to read a quote from the book. It says how in the townships, when the police came swooping in with their riot gear and armored cars and helicopters, I knew run for cover, run and hide. I knew that as a five-year-old, have, have I li had I lived a different life, getting thrown out of a speeding minibus might have fazed me. My question would be, when you take into account this quote and the way that um, black people in America, especially, are from a very young age raised to fear the police. How, you know, you talked about your meetings with the police captain, and that's great. But I want to know what specifically are you looking to change? How are you trying to make the police more equitable and a, a more of a resource for Malden's community? Well, one thing is by not doing any of that. Yeah. So when that issue came to light, uh, first thing we did was took an inventory to see whether or not we had any of those items. And I'm pleased to say, thanks to uh, Police Chief Kevin Mullis, we don't have any of that. That's great. So that was reassuring. That's wonderful. And it showed that what he and his department are trying to do is to be a resource to all. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we just have to continue to do that. So every vigil, every protest, every event they've been a part of. Right. And not, not 
directed by us mm-hmm. on their own volition. And I think we, you know, need to continue with that approach. Yeah. I think the other thing that what they've done uh, that we're trying to do on our end is their department reflects what our city is today. Mm-hmm. So they have just about every language, major la- language represented on the department. That's wonderful. And we think that's been helpful, you know, in their day-to-day uh, activities. Uh, they now have a civil rights officer, Sergeant uh, Mike Powell, mm-hmm. who just issued a statement on the tragedy that occurred in the Lanner. So I think those things will help us going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, if you could, you know, wave a magic wand and implement like uh, a couple of different policies or social changes that you think would really help fix social inequity in Malden, what would they be? Well, I think there's several. One is that I've heard from our students within the Malden Public Schools is to start having our curriculum begin to reflect where our students come from. I think that's a really good idea. I think, um, again, reflecting the government on what the city is today is another one. I, that To me, that's one of the most important. And then I think making sure that the police department and our community is even tighter than it is today, which we hope will be through that review board. You know, instead of just reacting to when an incident occurs, talking when the lights aren't on about what's happening with uh, the department and what's happening out in the city. As a politician within Malden, you're seeing all these different issues, and then you're reading this book about a completely different situation in apartheid, but what are some of the similarities besides the obvious being, like, racial discrimination? I mean, how do you see these specific cultures within our city and with um, the childhood environment of Trevor Noah intertwine? Resources, resources, resources. You know, people ask me all the time, looking back, what's the one thing you wish you had more? My answer always remains the same, which is to have more resources to help our city grow. You know, I can't tell you the number of times people come to us to ask about establishing this program or that program, and there just seems to be never enough funding to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've done everything I can to plead with the state and federal government to, you know, as much as they can, get us the money, and we'll, we know what we need to do. You know, to me, that would be helpful. Now, they've done a good job getting us through COVID, I believe, and uh, hopefully some of this American Rescue Plan funding, which is slated to come straight to cities and towns like ours, might be a way that we can start to do some of that. Poverty is obviously a huge issue, and huge. it like, goes with what we were talking about with crime. So, um, you know, according to recent census data, Malden has around 15% poverty rate. Yep. And we, I think it's interesting because in uh, Born a Crime, it's very, poverty is um, more normalized, I think. And it's a huge issue with apartheid because there's been the systemic divide. And in Malden, uh, I think that there is still, and in America at large, there's still a huge stigma, stigma around being poor. And so how, you talked about resources. What what would you need, again, if you can wave a magic wand, what would you need to fix the 15% poverty rate in Malden? I couldn't even venture a guess. Just <laughs> more, more than what we have today. Yeah. And whether it's through food, housing, just whatever we get, we're churning it right around and investing it in our city. To give you an example, 
one of our recent community development block grants that we received from the federal government, mm -hmm. we pledged uh, roughly $400,000 to the Bread of Life, who, you know, helps all those people that are hungry throughout Malden to establish a new and modernized facility. So they'll have everything in one space as opposed to now, which they're spread out all over the community. That's just one example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, another one is we pledged money to the Malden Warming Center to help them upgrade their facility. Um, and the beat goes on. We just, anybody that will listen, I tell them, get it to us. We know what we need to do. And so... With the COVID, you know, what impact have you seen in the pandemic on the issues we've talked about, crime, race, poverty, et cetera? They're still there. Yeah. You know, COVID doesn't address any of that. It mm -hmm. probably makes it worse. And so the pressure's even more now as people get vaccinated. What do they do? You know, it's one thing to be vaccinated and protected against the virus, but it's another to be protected against food insecurity and housing insecurity. And so that's why we've tried, despite COVID, not to take any focus away from those issues. If you look at a lot of our recent investments, they've been in those areas. And with the vaccine, when do you anticipate things going back to normal? That is the multi-million dollar Yeah, question. for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Again, another example, uh, they don't, you know, no one wants to hear it, but we've tried to tell anyone up top, get it to us, we'll do the rest. But instead, they're going with the mass vaccination sites and the regional sites and the uh, pharmacies to do the vaccine. But the latest we've heard is um, summer. They believe everybody who wants to be vaccinated will be vaccinated. By the beginning or the end of summer? They didn't say that. Okay. They're smart. <laughs> they're smart not to tell us that. But somewhere in the summer, okay. they believe. How do you think when the school year starts again in the fall, uh, how will it, will it be all back to normal? What what do you anticipate staying after everyone's vaccinated and what do you hope to see gone? That's a good question. Out loud, we've just been stating that once everybody's vaccinated, we should be good to be back in five days a week starting in September. But I'll tell you what, after living through COVID, there have been a number of students who have suggested this might be the time to rethink how we learn. There are some students that have told me they actually are excelling by learning remotely. You know, they're just not good at socially and emotionally, and it's tough on them being surrounded by a large group of students that they're actually doing well by themselves. So right. I wonder if there is, you know, some opportunity to take what we've gone through and use that going forward whether that's, you know, two days hybrid or three days hybrid or those that want to learn remotely can do that in an academy and those that excel being around people can continue to do that. I don't know. How do you see that working? Whatever it takes to reach the student. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Every student learns differently, and we should try to adapt to that accordingly as best we can. Uh, that's another thing I've learned over time. You know, growing up, you had to be in school. You had to be there from this time to this time, and that was it. No discussion. But, you know, as my time as mayor, getting to know a lot of these students, I've come to appreciate not everyone learns at the same yeah. pace. There's definitely different learning styles. And yeah. I think, you know, as a college student, 
I definitely see it at Emerson's campus with, you know, a lot of days it's easier to not have to go in and, you know, present yourself, especially if it's just a lecture. Yeah. But I also think that it's hard to pay attention and get engaged. It's just, it's, it's opening up a lot of avenues that were previously unconsidered. Sure. No one was even talking about virtual learning right. unless it was in extreme situations. Right. And now we're having this question like, oh, is this something we should keep, you know? Yeah. Do you think that masks are going to be a thing after this year? Yes. Yeah. I do, especially during the winter. I mean, the one thing that has, you know, really blown my mind is not any conversation about the flu. I know. It's crazy. I'm shocked because going into the fall, uh, the medical panels that we were talking with on a regular basis said, you know, I don't know how to say this to you. If you thought COVID was bad, wait till it's mixed with the flu. Yeah. Six months later, not a peep. Yeah. So maybe this has something to do with that. Yeah. Hopefully so, it won't be mandated anymore. But then when the winter happens, also it's warmer. It helps your nose keep warm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never been a fan of you know, the government being on top of someone because they choose not to wear a mask. I mean, I, I think at some point you can't legislate personal responsibility. Yeah. You, know, you have to give each individual the facts, where we are, where we're going, and then ultimately it's up to that person. And that's right. why when people say, you know, how can you not let that person wear a mask, but you wear a mask, as long as you're taking care of yourself, I feel like, you know, you'll be okay. Yeah, I guess I think the issue would be then that if someone isn't wearing a mask, it doesn't just affect them. You know, even if someone else is wearing a mask, the transmission rates are much higher if only one person is. And if people are going into restaurants and public spheres and they're not, because it's not, for me at least, it's not about, you know, these personal freedoms. It's about public protection. Yeah, same. You're right. And so we can't, you know, legislate every individual's action. But it is frustrating to think about the fact that if we had just shut everything down for three weeks, this would be over. Yeah. Like we could just have this all done, but people don't cooperate with that. And right. so it's, it's hard because you obviously don't want to tell people what to do, but I do think that a mask uh, mandate is, has been helpful in yeah. saving lives. And, and so that's why I think we may want to consider that. I don't know how it will go down, but I could say, you know, here in Malden, we might want to think about that, especially during the winter. Yeah. I mean, I just, have you heard anything about the flu? Numbers are down significantly. Yeah, I mean. But I don't know any, I mean, I saw something the other day that said that anyone who's been wearing their mask properly hasn't gotten sick since early 2020. So back to the book and everything. Uh, uh, he talks about how the his education, he goes to multiple different schools, the public schools, the private schools, and how that's different. And so I'm curious about what your perspective is on the way that different school systems, like, I don't know if, does Malden have charter schools? Yes. Yes, so charter schools, you know, public schools, private schools, play out in terms of social and economic opportunity. Um, So it says in the book, as apartheid was coming to an end, South Africa's elite private schools started accepting children of all colors. My mother's company offered bursaries, scholarships for underprivileged families, and she managed to get me into Maryville College, an expensive private Catholic school. And so these families are working so hard to get their kid into a private school. Um, but how can we fix the education, educational inequality among different types of school systems? Resources, resources, yeah. resources. <laughs> I mean, we were on our way prior to the pandemic with the Student Opportunity Act. Our uh, legislative delegation in the entire state, really, I thought, came up with a good funding formula. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that was all scaled back due to COVID. Right. So we hopefully, as we come out of it, we'll get back to that. 
Um, but I do think, and I've always said this as long as I've been in public life, that whatever it takes to reach the student. I've gone to some households where kids went to the charter school, didn't do well, came to the public school, did great. I've had others go to the public school, didn't do well, went to the charter school, did great. I've had other students tell me they went to both, didn't do well, but excelled at the Catholic school. As, as many opportunities as we can create, so long as the systems are equal when it comes to funding, I think the better off our, our students will be and society will be. Yeah. Because the one thing that I've seen happen is you don't want to have a student attend an educational setting and do poorly and have no options. I mean, that to me is the worst thing that can happen to a student. So that's one benefit of having all these different systems in Malden. We have actually four. We also have vocational tech, right. which we're a member of. So we have four educational settings. Gives people options. Yeah, whatever, to reach them. Yes. Again, I, I just, there was someone at the charter school who didn't do well. Right. Is now at the Vogue and is doing great. Yeah, I mean, it's great that people have options. The And I was, I was a private school kid, so I wasn't a huge fan of it. But it also only gives options to people who can afford yep. private school. That's the challenge. Right. And right. so the question is, how do we expand those opportunities to everyone or level the playing field right. for all? Yep. And it's definitely a complicated issue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are out of time. This was a wonderful conversation. We could thank keep you going. So much. I know. We could talk about this for hours. Well, thank you so much, Mayor Pleasure. Christensen. There's a little sound effect. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. I figured it out myself. <laughs> okay, well, um, thank you so much. We really appreciate your okay. time. This was Malden Reads, One City, One Book. I'm Annie Benning, your host. Have a great day. For 11 years, Malden Reads has been exploring the answer to the question, what if all of Malden read the same book? You can check them out at maldenreads.org. That's M-A-L-D-E-N-R-E-A-D-S.org and follow them on social media. And while you're there, check out the personal greeting to Malden from Trevor Noah on the set of The Daily Show.